Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Mark Daguerre shares a message entitled, The Providence of God in My Life. And now, here's Mark. Please turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. Let's open in prayer. Father, as we come, Lord, together to worship you, we pray that you would take your word, Lord, and glorify yourself by uh, applying it to our lives, that we might uh, shine and reflect your glory to the world, Lord, for your glory. Amen. So good morning, everyone. I got my fingers crossed. I'm hoping that... Uh, 2022 is going to bring us some better luck. And by pure coincidence, today I'm going to be speaking on the providence of God. In case it's still too early for some of us, that was all just tongue in cheek. Okay. Because one of the things that I came to realize in 2006 is as a new follower of Jesus Christ, that it was not a coincidence And it was not luck that had anything to do with what had just happened to me. So on the day of my conversion, what I did is I threw out the concepts of luck and coincidence. Because God just, he doesn't use those things. And yet I'm aware that many people would actually disagree with me on this case. I mean, you'll see some athletes that won't wash their clothes or they'll use very specific gear when they're going through a, a series of games because they don't, you know, want to jinx their luck. Likewise, you'll have bingo players with their little troll dolls and they'll spin them so the hair looks all crazy. They'll use special bingo dabbers because, you know what, they are hoping that those things are going to cause them to win the jackpot. Uh, some uh, religious people will use little trinkets. Trinkets, they'll put them in their vehicles or in their homes, hoping that it's going to keep them safe. You know, we can go on and on with a lot of examples of how people will do certain things in order to increase their chances of luck in their life. I had heard about a certain motorcycle jacket manufacturing company which made these jackets and that they would sew in a medallion of St. Christopher inside their jacket pockets. They did this because they believed that St. Christopher will protect you and then bring you back home safely. And I happened to own one of these jackets. When I heard this, I thought, hey, I wonder if this is true. So I dug around in my jacket and sure enough, tucked in one of the pockets in the back corner, they had sewn in, carefully sewn in this little medallion of St. Christopher. So I was looking at this and I was kind of surprised that it was actually true. So I carefully took it cut the the stitching off and chucked it in the garbage. See, I didn't want this metal to be on me and God forbid I get into an accident and have people think that my faith was in this trinket. I want to make sure that people understand that my faith is not in these religious trinkets, but my faith, and I want to be crystal clear, is that it's in God. Because I know that God is in complete control And that the days of my life have actually been numbered by him. So whether I carry some good luck charm with me or not, my days are numbered. And that's good news for me because now I don't have to live in fear of death. 
I don't know if I'm going to die right now or in a hundred years from now. Phil's saying, please don't die now. I don't want to have to start preaching. (laughs) But God has already numbered my days. So I don't have to live in fear of death. And I don't have to fear death itself because ultimately I know that heaven is my home. And I know this not because of what I've done, but because of what God has declared. He's declared it in his word. He says, whoever repents and believes has everlasting life. And once you do so, you're going to be born anew from above. And the Holy Spirit then comes to dwell inside you, and he will declare this truth to you. So you don't have to just take it from me. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit declares this truth to you. So in that moment, when my spirit was brought to life, I became acutely aware of how God had used all these things in my life in order to get me right here, right now. He got me exactly where I needed to be in order to be saved. It wasn't a coincidence that I was driving down a certain road. It wasn't a coincidence that I was doing a certain job and that I was listening to a certain radio program. It wasn't a coincidence that I happened to be in a place where I can have this settled right there. And what's even wilder than that is that not just I, but many other people were listening to that very same program, coming to that same point in their life. And God had orchestrated the entire thing. You know, even though it may not seem like it at times when we're going through difficult situations, God is always in control. And he has been. Ever since the very beginning, God has been in control. And whether we choose to believe that or not, Well, really, that's irrelevant. From the beginning, God has demonstrated his providence. And he has done so in many, many different ways. And there are plenty of examples that have been recorded throughout the Bible. And for those that are willing to believe, it can be clearly seen in the scriptures as well as in our own lives. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Excuse me. Come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the Bible says that we have to be born again. And if you are not, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So many different religions will teach that you can't know for sure if you're going to go to heaven. But clearly the Bible says that we can know and we can know for sure. And it tells us what we must do in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Capital S here referring to the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus takes the time to explain to Nicodemus that he's not talking about a physical birth. Jesus is talking about the spiritual birth. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it, came, whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Are thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? And that's what Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was a well-respected teacher of the Scriptures in Israel. And Jesus is saying to him, Nicodemus, shouldn't you already know these things? Of all the people in Israel, you are the person that should know this in order for you to be able to teach it. Because this part of the doctrine of salvation here, he doesn't even know it. Is it possible that the reason Nicodemus doesn't know it is because he hasn't gone through it himself? It's kind of like me. If I was not born again, I would have no right to be up here teaching the Word of God. So simply put, a person that doesn't believe the Scriptures is disqualified from teaching. But is it fair to say that Nicodemus, uh, uh, I should say, is it fair that Jesus said this to Nicodemus? That's the question. Because you know what? He didn't have the New Testament at the time. He can go and look at John chapter 3. He was living John chapter 3. You know? So how can we, how, or how, he, how can he have known about the new birth if he hadn't read John chapter 3? If all he had was the Old Testament, could he find the truth about the new birth? Well, the Old Testament teaches very clearly about the second birth. And it's no coincidence that Nicodemus was the person having this conversation with Jesus. And it's also no coincidence that this conversation was recorded for future generations to be able to go back and read it. And it's also no coincidence that we're here today having this exact conversation. I, I want, just, it kind of blows my mind. Take a moment just to realize all the things that had to happen in order for me to be here today speaking about this very topic and for you to be here listening about this very topic. God didn't begin to orchestrate this, you know, uh, a couple months ago when Phil gave out the list of the topics we're going to speak on. God didn't start to orchestrate this at the day of my salvation. God had planned this a long time ago, before I was created, way before I was created. He knew that I was going to get saved, and he had orchestrated the whole thing. So let's look at some examples of how God's providence can be seen, specifically with the topic of salvation. <clears throat> so in Genesis 3.14, God makes this providential declaration. It says, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's no way 
that any of us can actually make a declaration and guarantee that it will actually come to fruition. You know, I could, I could hope that something's going to happen, that if I plan on it, but I can't guarantee. It's like, that's why we always cap off our sentence with, Lord willing. You know, I'm going to be going to work tomorrow, Lord willing. I'll be going to vacation, maybe next March break, Lord willing. But when God says something's going to happen, you can say with complete assurance that absolutely it's going to happen. He doesn't have to cap it off by saying, Lord willing. I hear a call. <laughs> That's okay. Just for me, tell him, just take a message. Now, in order for the prophecy to come to pass, many things would have to come together. Okay? Not only that, because... It's one thing for God to say something's going to happen. And if it were to happen right away, that's one thing. But the longer God waits to make it happen, the more difficult it would be to make everything line up just right. In fact, it comes to a point where it becomes impossible for it to happen. That is, unless you are God. Mathematicians have calculated the probability of Jesus Christ fulfilling the prophecies that he had. And they said that it was impossible for him to do so unless he was actually God in the flesh. So when we refer to the providence of God, we are not just talking about foresight. We're talking about omnisciently directing everything. And the equation is a simple equation. It's like this. One, you've got to know everything. Two, you have to have the power over everything. And three, you have to be everywhere at all times. And these three things are only attributable to God himself. Therefore, when God gave his judgment right there, it wasn't a question of whether or not it would come to pass. It was a question of it will. No question. It was just it will pass. And it was so that God, in his perfect timing, could redeem man and also demonstrate that there is no other person that could do that. And after the fall from their position with God, referring to Adam and Eve, they had looked forward now to this promised Redeemer. They didn't necessarily know all the details of how it would happen, but they anticipated it nonetheless. And the Bible records for us that no matter how often people would mess up, because you see people messing up all the time in the Bible, and I mess up all the time as well, right? But no matter how much they mess up, okay, and it seems that it can't get any worse, God is never taken by surprise. And his plan is never hindered. It's kind of like when Cain slew Abel. You know, God had rejected the firstborn's sacrifice. But he had accepted the sacrifice of the secondborn. First of all, can you imagine... Being Adam and Eve, you were there in the beginning when everything was perfect. There was no such thing as fear, no such thing as anger or hate. And then all of a sudden, sin comes into the world. And in the blink of an eye, everything changed. Everything fell into disorder. And just as they think it can't get any worse, their son commits murder. And as you're reading this, this isn't a story of fiction. This is something that really happened. But as devastating as this was, it was also a picture of things to come. 
Abel being a picture of the Redeemer shedding his blood. And in spite of this horrible loss, Adam and Eve, they still believed in the promise because they knew that God's plan was not thwarted. Genesis 4.25 says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So Eve aptly called her son Seth. His name means appointed. She was fully persuaded that God's promise was going to be fulfilled through him. And Seth was the appointed son with which redemption would eventually come. So Adam and Eve believed in the providence of God. And as we move forward some generations later, we come upon Abraham and Sarah. God had given them a promise as well. And in spite of being barren, in spite of not being able to have children, and now she was in her older age, God had promised them a son. Sarah was to have a child, and that son would inherit the blessing of the promise. And after waiting on the Lord for what seemed like an extended period of time, they grew impatient. And they decided to take matters into their own hands. Because there was no physical way that Sarah, being barren, was going to be able to have a child. So Sarah was incapable of conceiving, so they went about it their own way to do the work of God. Which, from which I should say, comes Ishmael. And Ishmael was born of Hagar. Ishmael is a picture of someone trying to do the work of salvation by themselves. You know, it doesn't matter how much work you put into it, how good your work is, because our bodies are not able to bring forth new life in Christ. And that's why God didn't give the blessing to Ishmael. He rejected the firstborn. But the blessing was given to Isaac, the secondborn. Abraham and Sarah had come to understand in the providence of God. And that is how it is with the second birth. See, it's something that we have to receive. It's not something that we can do by ourselves. The blessing of God and the promise of that kingdom are given to the second born. God was giving us a picture that a man has to be born again in order to have the blessing of God, in order to inherit that kingdom of God. And we see this again with Rebecca and with Isaac. Rebecca couldn't have children of her own. And it was breaking her heart. And so they besought the Lord. And in due time, they conceived. God told them that they were going to have two nations in their womb. How can you have two nations in one womb? God told her that she was going to have twins. They were going to be two different people groups. People that would come from two sons. But not only that, God also said that the younger would actually rule over the older. Isaac and Rebekah saw the providence of God. And sure as rain, Rebekah gave birth to twins. And boy, these twins couldn't be more different. One had no hair, kind of like this. The other one was super hairy. One had one style of life, and the other one had a very different style of life. 
One woman was a mama's boy, one was a papa's boy. Very different people. Esau gave up his birthright in order to feed his flesh. And God rejected the firstborn and he honored the secondborn. Again, a picture of being born again. In Malachi, God says, Esau have I hated and Jacob have I loved. In order for a man to receive the love of God, he needs to be born again. All those that are not born again are going to be cast into hell where the wrath of God abides upon them and they will actually receive the judgment of God. And so in order for a person to escape that and to have the love of God, a person has to be born again. And he talks about a separate nation in the world, a nation of born again believers. We saw that in the life of Abraham when God had made two promises to him. He said, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. Not once, twice. Two different ways, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. He said, out of you are going to come two types of people. I'm going to multiply you in two different ways. The first is like the sand of the sea. Talking about those that are born after the flesh. A physical birth. And then he says, the second one is going to be as the stars of the sky. Those are speaking to those that are born of the Spirit. Teaching us again that a man has to be born of the Spirit of God. That's why in John chapter 8, when the Jews are having this discussion with Jesus, and he wasn't arguing with them when they said, uh, oh, we're not the sons of fornication. Remember, they were kind of mocking him. Because the rumors were that his mother had fornicated and that Joseph wasn't his father. Jesus wasn't arguing with them. They said, we're not the sons of fornication. We're the sons of Abraham. Because they were the seed of Abraham. But as you continue reading, Jesus doesn't argue with them. But he also says, yeah, and you're of your father, the devil. So how can this be? How can you be a physical seed of Abraham, but also be of the devil? It's because they were not of the spiritual seed. They were not the stars of heaven. They were the sand of the sea. And so they trusted in their physical circumcision. That's what their faith was in. And they were not trusting in the work of God. And so Jesus is saying, if we want to be of the sea, which is of the stars, and not be the sand, then we must be born again. So Jacob, the second born, received the blessing. And God now is showing us again that it comes from that second birth. Every person in the world has the ability to uh, give a physical inheritance to somebody. You know, uh, if you're here, that means you were born. We all agree. You're not here just in your mind. You're physically here. Because some people think that this is not real. But this is real. Okay? So you're physically here. That means you were born. Okay? But there's only one family in the scriptures that was able to give that spiritual blessing. That promised blessing. That promise of the coming of the kingdom. Jacob was given this special inheritance of the promised Redeemer by his father Isaac. He couldn't see the inheritance. He had to actually receive it by faith. And it came with that promise of salvation. And if you remember also, Abraham walked, he said, and he was looking for that city with the foundation. Remember that story? That's what it's referring to. Isaac had received it from his father Abraham. Abraham received it from his father Terah. <clears throat> 
Terah received it from Nahor. I, I have to have a list here because I don't remember all their names. Nahor received it from Serug. <clears throat> Serug from Riu. Riu from Peleg. Peleg from Eber. Eber from Salah. Salah from Arphaxad. Arphaxad from Shem. Shem from Noah. Noah from Lamech. Lamech from Methuselah. Methuselah from Enoch. Enoch from Jared. Jared from Mahalaleel. Mahalaleel from Canaan. Canaan from Enos. And guess where Enos got it? Enos got it from Seth. And the Lord is showing us again that the inheritance of the kingdom of God comes from being born into that spiritual family of God. And we see this example again with the sons of Joseph. When Israel is at death's door, Joseph brings his two sons. And Joseph is like, hey, I'm going to have you bless my kids. Jacob has lost most of this, his sight at this time. And so Joseph brings his sons for a blessing. He says to his father, hey, I want you to put your hands on the kids and, and, and bless them. So he brings Manasseh and puts him on Israel's right-hand side. And he brings Ephraim and puts him on his left-hand side. And Joseph uh, and uh, Israel comes to bless the kid. And he does one of these. He crosses his hands. And Joseph's like, whoa, maybe you don't see well, but you got your hands on the wrong kids. Right? You're supposed to put that... Uh, priority blessing on the firstborn and you got him on the wrong side. No, Joseph, I know exactly what I'm doing. There was a reason why he was putting that hand and giving priority to the second born. And we can go throughout the entire Old Testament and see that the second born has the blessing, which is teaching us that the second birth has priority over the first birth. Every one of us had a physical birth, as I said, but it teaches us that if we want to see the kingdom of God, we, if we want to have God actually recognize us as a child of God, to be part of his family, we have to have our spiritual birth. If you were only born once, you're going to miss the kingdom. The Bible is very clear about that. But if you're born twice, you will not miss it. And that's why in John chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak what that we do know, and testify that what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. He's saying, the reason Nick is not teaching on the second birth is because he hasn't studied it out and figured it out for himself. You know, he could have learned that from the scriptures. He could have learned what they said about that second birth blessing. Because this was not a new teaching. This isn't something that just started in John chapter 3. This is something that was being taught back with Adam and Eve. And God had been teaching that. He recognized the second birth throughout history. In Galatians 6.15, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So the physical work of the flesh, it doesn't profit anything. The only thing that is profitable is a new creature. So if we want to have the blessing of God, and if we want to have home, our home in heaven, we have to be born again, born of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. It's not talking about a change in lifestyle. I'm not going to be able to, you know, 
change my ways and behave like a Christian. That's, that's not what he's talking about when he says the spiritual uh, regeneration. It's not a lifestyle change. It's talking about who we are at our core. At our core, we're not good. If you've been anywhere in the last two years, you've realized that, man, this whole thing that's going on, it's causing people to very, be very angry with each other, right? And if you haven't seen that, even when there was construction on the bridge for, the last, for this past summer, wow, if you thought people's hearts were good, all you had to do was drive through that construction zone. You, you know how you're supposed to zipper in? Well, people would line up on one side for about like two kilometers, and if you were in that other lane, boy, they'd let you know. They'd drive out to cut you off. You know, it, that's, not, that's not right. That's what's in the heart. We might say that we're good people, but we're not good people, and our heart proves it. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So what does it mean to be passed from death unto life? Well, the Bible says that we are all dead in Adam. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we must recognize that we are actually spiritually dead. Like I said, we may think that we're good, but we have to realize we are spiritually dead. In Ephesians 4.24, God talks about being recreated. It's in righteousness and holiness. And it's referring to this regeneration. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy of God, we have been transformed. We don't conform to Christianity. When you're conforming to something, that's like you're taking something and you're putting it in a mold and you're shaping it. We're not cookie-cutter Christians, right? We have to be transformed into a new life in Christ. And that means that there's this, this switching over. Very different than being conformed into something. To be conformed is, again, you're being pressed into a mold. This is God taking us and changing us at our core. We can't be conformed from our first birth and molded into the role of a Christian. We have to be transformed to a second birth. And with that transformation now, we have a position with God. Because if you remember with the story of Adam and Eve, they did not only lose their fellowship with God, they lost their position with God. At one time, they were in the Garden of Eden, walking with God. And when sin came into the world, God cast them out of the garden, they lost their position with God. And because of that, we cannot hold a position with God. That is exactly what he's talking about in First and Second Timothy when he talks about being restored to a position with God. He talks about that, and he says that Christ Jesus is how we are brought back to a place where we can actually serve God and be children of God. And again, I would have no right to be up here uh, preaching the word unless I was born again, because that thing that I did years ago, coming to faith in Christ, being born again, is what puts me in a right position with him. And because of that, I am reconciled to God. And because of that, God has rejected my first birth, and he has honored me and blessed me in my second birth. John 3.14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So 
So when the children of Israel were in the desert, they were dying from being bitten by these venomous snakes. God told Moses, Moses, I need you to form this big brass serpent and put him high on a pole. And I want you to do this so that way when people are going to be bitten, they're going to see the evidence. I mean, they're dying. It's very clear that they're dying. You know, I want them to know that if they believe what I'm telling you, trust in me, that I'm going to save them. If they look on that pole and that brazen serpent, I'm going to save them. You know, we have this tendency that we'll live forever. Like the younger you are, ah, so long from now, right? But you get to a point where you realize it could be in an instant. But most people don't think of it. I mean, you could be 120 think, ah, I got another 20 years to go. We never think that death is at the door knocking. And that is exactly what, uh, what this is, is doing here. It's, it's causing them to realize, like, hey, I'm going to die here. I have to look to my Savior. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus did this thing on the cross where he died. And it was, this was a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. Because we have this, this venom of sin uh, going through our veins. And it's only a matter of time before we die. And this poison is going to kill us. It's going to kill everyone. But then we don't have this uh, anti-sin medicine. Like you can get it like anti-venom. We don't have anti-sin medicine that we can just take and move on from there. Our only option is to look to Jesus, believe in Jesus, knowing that he died for us and put our faith in him. And he says that he will save us. And that's just a little taste of the providence of God. And then the more you study, the more you realize that he is in complete control. In John 3.17, we read, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I'd like to close off 2021 with a wonderful verse from Philippians uh, chapter 3. It says, Forgetting those things which are behind... And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward, uh, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Here, let's just close in prayer. Father, as we uh, think about your scriptures, Lord, and how very clearly you've laid out that you are in control and that nothing is of a surprise to you, Lord, and that salvation is a necessity that can only be done through you. Father, I just pray that we would uh, glorify you in our lives and demonstrate to those that don't know you yet that your love for them is real, and Lord, that they can come to you, trust in you, and be saved by you. For your glory. Amen. May God's blessing be upon you as you go in peace and bring much fruit for Jesus in 2022. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.